welcome to the Taney Love Church Podcast. Our desire is to gather, train, and send those who are called to the kingdom. We hope this message inspires, uplifts, and equips you to fulfill the call that God has placed in your life. Thanks again. God bless. Thank you, Jesus. Did you guys all have a good week? Yes. Me too. I got to work on, uh, I primarily work for one person. I don't work a lot of hours during the week. Uh, the Lord has been asking me to take more and more time off from work, which has been great. Um, he's been diligent to take care of Becky and myself. But every once in a while I get an opportunity to do uh, some some custom work, and I had someone reach out to us, and uh, I was able to make now, this might not be exciting to you, but it was exciting to me. We were able to work, build this railing in this 110-year-old house that was this Airbnb. And uh, there's something to being able to retrofit hardwood into existing hardwood and making things work and making it right and working with my father. Um, it's just I really enjoy the creative part of that. Um, I, it's, it's an outlet that I have I enjoy. But it was such an awesome time with my dad working on this project, and the lady overpaid us she was so thankful uh, but I just think about how God has put things inside of us right like why, why is it that I'm skilled at this why is it that I enjoy this and it's because it's something that God has put inside of me and every one of us is unique in that way and and, and it feels good to be able to f- like operate in a way that you're graced does that make sense and so many times we're, we, we kind of begin to sense some things that we're skilled at and we're trying to get to that point. But God, God wants you to be in that point more than you do. And all it takes is just some surrender and some obedience. And, and I just am excited to see how God is growing this church up and seeing families and friends move into better jobs and move into better situations and, and operate in their callings in a greater way. It's, it's what our desire as pastors is, is that you would, you would do what God has designed you to do. And sometimes that's full-time ministry. Sometimes that's part-time ministry and part-time work. Sometimes it's full-time work being a support to full-time ministers. There's lots of calls that God has on people's lives. It's not always a pulpit because people in the pulpit need people in support of them. Does that make sense? And so if we can all just be the body part we were designed to be, it'll such a fulfilling operation for you to be in the place that God has called you to be. So I just wanted to share and, and admonish you in that way. Um, who was here last week? I was. Anyone else? Okay. So we started a new series last week. Um, it's something that uh, I'm excited about. Uh, and the title of the series is God's Will Regarding Your Finances. Now, I kind of hinted in this during offering that I was sharing some of the things and here's, here's, what, here's what we established last week, okay? Because I know that people have varying degrees of understanding when it comes time to God and money. And some people say, Preacher, don't talk about my money from the pulpit. Yeah. I, 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 hey, I hear you, but I just work here, okay? Like, this is, this is my job. And, and we, we, last week, I asked you three, three questions. And the first one was, can we agree that all Scripture is God-breathed. And I made everyone raise their hands. So let's do that again. Everyone agree that all Scripture is God-breathed, okay? Okay. Question number two, 
Can we agree that if we find it in the word and it's in context, very important, that it's for us, that we believe it? Let me see your hands. Okay. The third question is, can we agree that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, according to Hebrews 13.8? Can we agree? Okay, perfect. So, so the, the burden of proof is on, is on the word now. It's not me trying to, it's not my theology I came up with to try to convince you of a thing. It's me finding truth in the word and sharing it with you. Does that make sense? That's literally like uh, the, the job of a pastor or a shepherd is to lead the sheep to food and to drink. This is what I am doing, okay? I'm saying, here's this truth that I found in the Word. Now, it's your job to, to get into the Word yourself, to seek revelation. I said this before. If it's in here, it's for you, right? So should you read it? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Front to back. Old and New Testament. Old doesn't mean, like, passed away. Old just means before. You could call it the before Jesus Testament and the after Jesus Testament. They're both good and they're both truth, right? Sometimes we think Old Testament and we think, well, that's for them old guys. That's not, that's not the case, okay? This is for us, right? Old Testament, New Testament. The New Testament writers wrote with the understanding that you knew your Old Testament. You understand? So reading the New Testament without the Old Testament, you're, you're missing literally one half of the revelation that God has for you. Is that fair to say? Okay, so we talked about the word faith. The, the Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And the word hope in the Webster's Dictionary means to expect with confidence. Okay, So you could say faith is a confident expectation. And so I asked another question. I said, how can you have confidence? How can you have faith in an area that you were unsure of or not totally convinced of? How can you have faith in an area that you're not convinced of? You can't. Yeah. If you're not convinced that Jesus Christ died for you, are you saved? No. You think, you, I mean, there's a lot of people on that fence. Yeah, I, I, I heard about what Jesus did. I'm just not, you know, I'm just not really sure yet. Well, you're not, you're not saved. I'm not trying to beat anyone up. You're just, you're not, because you're, you're, you're believing in something you're not really sure if you believe in. So you're not believing in anything. Fair? Right. So faith means to expect with confidence. Right. It's a, it's a it's a sure thing. It's a it's a it's it's a going to happen. Right. So you cannot have faith. You cannot have confidence in an area that we're not 100 percent sure of. So what the reason why this series came up is someone was asking me some questions about the subject of God and money. And we were on different sides of the coin. I don't get into arguing theology. Um, but the Lord told me, because I, I asked the Lord, because there's a long story behind it, and I asked the Lord some questions about it, and he said, Micah, know why you know what you know. Does that make sense? Know why you know what you know, meaning you need to have scripture for your beliefs. So I, so I just began to revisit. This is something that I've, I've believed that I have believed for the last decade, but do I know why I believe it? Does that make sense? I'm really trying to be as simple as possible in this. And so... I believe that there's a lot of people who say that they have faith in an area, but what they have is wish in an area or the world's version of hope. Does that make sense? Like I, I really, I read it in the word and I see it operating other people's lives. I'm just not a hundred percent sure it's for me. So when it comes to God's will regarding your finances, you have to be convinced of what he said about them. 
listen, I understand I'm talking about money. I, I want everyone to just breathe, okay? It's okay. It's in scripture. I, I'm not, I promise you, I'm going to show you word. And then from there, you go look for yourselves. Don't just take my word for it. Understand, you have a responsibility. The Bible is freely available, right? It's not just, I'm not hiding these things. They're on every smart device you have. You can get them. I have a stack of free ones by the front door. You can take one home. Get into it. So, so you're responsible, right? If you don't agree with me, find out why. Get into the word because what I'm going to present to you is truths, words that I have found in this scripture as to why we believe what we believe. Hebrews 11:6. we said this last week, is without faith it is impossible to please God. Okay, so saying it very simply, if you are not convinced of God's will for your finances, you can't have faith over your finances, which means you can't please God in your finances. Am I, is that fair? We're seeing that in Scripture? We're all on the same page? Okay, no one's yelling or throwing things at me so far, so we're doing all right. So, so we need to understand, we need to be convinced of what God has said us. Thank you for pulling that up, uh, Nancy. Being convinced of something means it's part of your daily operation. It's, it's not something you're learning or something you are gaining confidence in. It's something that is in operation. Does that make sense? For instance, we're all aware of gravity, right? How, why? Thank you. It's always working. If you were walking down the street and all of a sudden you started floating off the earth, you'd think the rapture was coming. Like, you, like we would be really confused. Gravity, gravity is in constant operation because it's a law. It was built when the, found, when the, when the world we live on was created it, gravity was created, right? I don't know when God created gravity. You can ask him when you get there, okay? But it was, it's, it's a law. It's, we're so aware of gravity, but do we talk about it? Not necessarily. Why? Because it's just always there. Gravity is so much a part of our existence that we talk about it in second person all the time. I don't know if that's the right way to say that. Everything we talk about has an understanding of gravity applied to it, right? You, you say, I'm going to drive from my house to the store. What keeps the car on the road? Gravity. gravity. Right? You don't have to think, oh, i got to throw weights in the trunk so I can drive to the store so I don't float off the earth, right? That's not, that's not even in our brains because gravity is in constant operation, right? right? It is always going to be. We are so convinced of it because it's in operation all the time, sure. right? We don't. Wake up and go, man, I hope gravity works today. <laughs> I got to get somewhere. I got to travel here. I got to go do this. I got to go work. I really hope gravity works today. Yeah. We're convinced of it. We don't, we don't even talk about it because we're so convinced of gravity. Yeah. It's a natural that always works. Okay? And the government passes laws for the workplace of safety. Correct. Because of gravity. It's so much an operation of everything. It's, it's part of our speech. It's part of how we talk. It's, it's such an, it's such an, we have such an understanding of its existence that we just operate as, it ex operate as if it exists because it does. Yeah. Fair? That's what being convinced of something is. So when it comes to money, okay, there's that scary word again, for whatever reason. There's that scary word again. When it comes to money and does God desire us to have 
money. Let's find out what the word says, okay? Has anyone ever heard any Christian say, or any person who professed the Lord say, you shouldn't go after money? I've heard it. If you haven't heard it, great. You're doing an awesome job. Some, some people in other camps believe that Christians, or especially preachers, um, should take a vow of poverty. Uh, I don't know where this comes from. Uh, there's a few scriptures in the Bible that people kind of twist, and if you squint and like lift a leg off the ground, you can kind of make it work that way. Uh, but I have yet to find any passage in the Bible that says that I should be poverty. Okay? Because we, we said earlier that God is a good God. He, in the word he says, if a son, he gives an example, he says if a son asks his dad for some food, is his dad going to give him a rock? Or is he going to give him food? He's going to give him food because he's a good dad. And then God says, aren't I better than that? He, basically, I, I'm paraphrasing, he's saying the best example of an earthly father that you have had or have seen ain't got nothing on me. In comparison to the best dad that you have, that you've seen in your life, maybe it wasn't your dad, maybe there was a father figure or someone around you, the best example of a dad that you have had has nothing compared to who God is, right? So if there's a dad on earth who would give you a good thing, how much more would God give to you, okay? Last week what we did, I, I wanted to start at the beginning. I don't, I, if I just do my recap, that'll be the entire time we have. So I'll just be, I'll be as quickly as I can here. What we did is we visited, we visited uh, Abraham or Abram becoming Abraham and the covenant that God formed with him and every step of the way, God prospering. And what, I, what we found out last week is that Abram was prosperous before the covenant was formed because, simply because he was in relationship with God. That's why when he went to Egypt, he left Egypt better than he found it. Far better. He had livestock. He had servants. Him and, so remember how I said we should have enough so that when we have excess, it falls on those around us? That's Lot. Lot was hanging out with Abram, and he, he, he just by being around Abram, there was so much wealth and prosperity and extra involved in Abram's life that it rolled over onto Lot. And they grew so much that their herdsmen were fighting over grazing rights. And so they split up. And he said, you take one side and I'll take the other. And then when God formed, okay, Abram had so much, he had, he had so many servants. His house was so big that when Sodom and Gomorrah was captured and his his nephew Lot was captured, he just took his family, his servants, and went and overtook these armies. Okay? And when God formed his covenant with Abram, God said, I'm going to make you very rich. Now, by all standards, he already was. Abram was doing pretty good before the covenant with God. And then in his covenant, he formed, in the covenant that God formed with Abram, Basically, what God was saying is, all that I have, I give to you because all of yours is available to me. Does that make sense? We actually saw this in Abraham's son. Okay, just follow me. And, and I'm going to present this to you. You can look at it yourself. Abraham, Abraham is an example of the covenant promise we have with God currently today. Am I right? Yes. Okay. We're on the same page. 
God asked Abraham for his one and only son. Because God was going to make his one and only son available. Does that make sense? It's a covenant relationship. He, he's, he's literally showing Abraham, if you, I'm going to ask you for the one and only son because I'm going to give you my one and only son. You understand what I'm saying? It's a relationship. It's God saying, you get access to all I have, I get access to all you have. Does that make sense? You get access to all of me, I get access to all of you. This is why I say if you want God involved in your finances, get him involved in your finances. Because he's not going to usurp authority over you in any area of your life. He will operate in any area that you give to him. And this involves everything. Your job, your family. Here's one. Your hurts and pains. Abuses and stuff that have been done to you in your life. People who have treated you poorly. Whatever you hang on to, you're not giving him access to. Fair? We're on the same page there? So whatever you, whatever you get him involved in, he will get you involved in the same aspect of himself. Okay? Does that make sense? So last week we covered, and if you weren't here, the great thing is, is we record all these and we put a podcast out and you can listen to them or you can go on Facebook. So you can go back and listen just because I don't want to, like I said, if I spend all the time recapping, we'll actually never get to the next part of what I feel like we need to be doing. But we, what, what I felt like we needed to do was to show how the character of God is to take care of those who are in relationship with him. Mm-hmm. It is, how do I say this the right way? God doesn't do it because there's a contract that says he's required to. He does it because it's his very nature. Yes. And what we see that in the story of Abram becoming Abraham is that it's always been part of God's character to take care of, to love, to help those who are in relationship with him. Now, a lot of people would say, well, why aren't we all just having all kinds of money? Because there are a lot of people who aren't involving God in their decisions to do so. The word says if you can be faithful with little, you can be faithful with much. That's why you... Oh, Lord, help me. Okay. When you get, when you get money from any situation, whether someone hands it to you, you work a job, is that your money? Yes. yes. That's the correct answer. Not a trick question. Yes, it is your money. What you decide to do with it is your free will. Now, if you're going to stand there and say, I am a believer. I submit to Christianity. That's a plain way of saying that. I agree that what Jesus Christ did, what the Bible says he did, is true and is for me. You're, you're, what you're agreeing to is a relationship, is a covenant with your Father. Okay? So... If you, want, if you want him involved to the fullness of what his word has promised, you need to involve, involve him in the fullness of who you are, which includes your money. So when you get paid, it is your money. You can do with it as you want to. You want to buy a whole paycheck worth of ho-hos and Twinkies? Go for it. It's a free country. You know, chocolate ice cream, Oreo cream pie, whatever. You, you could do it. Right? You could. You don't, have, you don't have to pay your bills. Right? You don't have to buy insurance. You don't have to do anything. It's a free. You can do what you want. But what you choose to do with it is what makes all the difference. It's what, get God, it's, it's what gets God involved. In order for you to walk in your prosperity, you need to think that way and be convinced of it. 
If we, if we truly, and okay, I want to define the word prosperity real quickly, just because no one freaks out. Is prosperity solely about money? No. no, thank you. I want a big resounding no. It is not. Does it include money? Yes. yes. It is one of, actually one of the smaller parts of the word prosperity. Prosperity is mind, soul, body, everything going well, having excess more than enough. That's comfort, that's peace, that's direction, that's fulfillment of, of your desire. I mean, prosperous is, is what, that's what Abraham was. He was prosperous. When he, 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 his descendants are as many as there are in the stars, as much dirt as there is, as much dust there is on the earth. We're descendants of Abraham, you understand? He is a prosperous dude. Not just in money, but in everything, okay? So, so the word prosperity, a lot of times our, our, our brain just goes dollar, dollar bills. That's what we think. It's a part of it, but it's not even the biggest part of it. Uh, but I, so it's important for us to renew our minds, okay? Renew our minds by thinking differently, okay? So I want to just share some verses, other examples of God's character, of, his, of who he is when it comes time to taking care of his people in finance. Is that okay? So I'm going to say, I'm going to give us some scripture. We're going to look at it. We're going to read it. And then, like I said, if you disagree or you don't agree, that's okay. But if you want to ask me or challenge me on this, I don't want to argue. I need scripture because we agreed. If it's in the Bible, it's in context. It's, it's truth, right? Is anything in here false? I'll say that again. Is anything in here false? Okay. Now, none of us have complete revelation. We're all endeavoring to do so. And God is so gracious in helping us and allowing us and gives us grace to walk from our lack of understanding into more understanding. Amen? Okay. So the first verse I want to share with you is in Jeremiah 32. And we're just going to, for the sake of time, we'll just read a part of this here. I won't read this whole passage. Um, this is after... Uh, the nation of Israel messed up for the umpteenth time. And this is where King Nebuchadnezzar was actually given rule over Israel. And this is where God said, if you will submit, if you'll come under the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, it will go well with you. Okay? And so he's this is towards the end of that. And this is the prophet Jeremiah talk, the prophet Jeremiah prophesying over what's going to happen. Okay? So um, I just want to start a verse. We'll start in verse 37. Uh, Jeremiah 32, 37. Behold, I will gather them from all countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety. Okay? And they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children. After them, I will make them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. God is promising. He said, I'm not going to turn away from doing good to them. Now, if God says something, is it truth? You can take it to the bank. I mean, that might be the way someone would say that. He says, I, I will not turn away from doing good to them. So you might say he's never going to stop doing good. Now, good is like the word prosperity. It includes everything. It's not just money, but it includes it. Okay? We're looking at the character of God. I will not turn away from doing good to them, and I will put the fear 
of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good. There it is again. He said it twice so far. He says, I'm going, I'm not, not only am I not going to stop doing them good, I'm going to enjoy it. He said, I'm going to rejoice and doing them good. I want you to say this. Say, God rejoices in doing me good. Say it again. God rejoices in doing me good. It's in the scripture. Again, put your eyes on it. Read it. The reason why it's important is I feel like the Lord wants us to be convinced. Here, here's why. I'm jumping ahead in my notes, but I want to share a verse with you. First Timothy 6. 17 and 19. I want to share this one. I'm, I'm definitely jumping ahead because this was going to be kind of a big reveal thing, but I think it's important. Okay. First Timothy 6, 17 through 18. If you have it, say, I have it. So this is him talking about people, right? He says, for as for the rich of this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. I want to pause here. If God wanted you not to have money, wouldn't this be a great place for him to say, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or to have riches? Wouldn't he say to give them away? Wouldn't this be a great opportunity if God didn't want you to have enough? Wouldn't this be a great place for him to say, those that are rich, get rid of it? It's a perfect place for it. But he doesn't say that. He says, don't put your hope. Now, we talked about this word hope. What does it mean? Expectation. Confident expectation. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, which means to expect with confidence. He said, don't put confident expectation in your riches. He didn't say don't have them. He just said, the ones of you, those of you who have money, don't put your faith in it. Because it's uncertain. Right? But on God, who richly provides us, okay, don't put hope on riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Am I reading word? Okay, I want to actually read this to you in the Amplified, okay? Same verse. Six, uh, Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, the Amplified. As for the rich in this present world, instruct them not to be conceited and arrogant, nor to set, not to flaunt your riches in front of people, right? Uh, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly and ceaselessly, that means never stops, okay? Ceaselessly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Instruct them not to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share with others, in this way storing up for themselves the enduring riches of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Okay? Verse 18 says, Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share with others. This is why, one of the reasons, why you have access, excess. Why you have access to excess. If we, if we won't put our trust, back, back one up for me. Go ahead and go to the ESV there again. Or you can leave an amplifying, but just pull that whole passage up, Nancy, if you can. If we don't put our trust in those riches, but and he, basically I'll summarize this verse in my understanding. If you've got money, great. 
Don't put your trust in it. But put your trust in God who will richly and ceaselessly increase you so that you have excess, being willing to share of that excess to those who need it. Now, that I'm summarizing this verse. If you don't agree with that, that's okay. I'm not forcing it on you. But this is what I'm seeing inside of this. He richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So uh, let me ask this question. Will God give you something that is only for enjoyment? It's in the Word. Yes. He, I'll, I'll give you an example. He gave me a wife. He gave me kids. He gave me great relationships. He gave, he, I was born into an amazing family. Now, you might be able to say, well, Micah, there's a purpose behind that. Yeah, but I enjoy it. Okay, how about this? I, was at all, I went to Aldi's this week to pick up some groceries. Now, all I needed to do was to get some pizza for dinner, okay? But you can't walk in Aldi's and hungry and leave with only pizza, <laughs> especially when you have two young girls in tow, okay? So Sarah wants a bag of grapes, so we get Sarah a bag. Which I'm, that's a great healthy choice, you know, bag of grapes. We go around, we find some snacky things, and we, we get to the dessert aisle, and we find some, I, what did I buy, the gelato bites? I found these little things for the girls. So we go to, uh, we go to check out. Oh, yeah, and I bought Becky some ice cream. She wasn't with us, but I thought we probably shouldn't get treats and not share some with Mom. And so when we get to the checkout aisle, this lady came up to me, and she said, Hi, are you the pastor from Hollister? And I said, Yes. She goes, I'm going to buy your groceries. I said, Okay. And so she bought them, and I said, Do we know each other? She goes, No, but I know who you are. I said, Okay. <laughs> That's fine with me. Now, the pizza was what was necessary for dinner. Everything else we bought was purely for enjoyment. Yet God still bought it. And the lady put 20 bucks in my pocket. You understand what I'm saying? So this is an example of God giving us something. You know how long those gelato bites lasted? They didn't make the night. They did, not, they did not make the night. No, they made it home. And then from there on, I, can't, I can either confirm nor deny how they went about the wayside, but they did not make the evening, right? The only thing we have left from that whole entire endeavor is the grapes. Everything else has been laid waste to, okay? But the, it was just for our enjoyment. Those snacks, like grapes aren't necessary. The, the snacks we bought aren't necessary. The gelato, the ice, that's not necessary. It was simply because we enjoyed those snacks. You walk into a store hungry, I mean, you're going to buy snack food, right? So God sent someone to pay for our groceries, and it was simply, all, all that was necessary was the pizza. Because you should, you know, it's important to feed your kids. To be a good human adult parent, you should feed your kids, right? That's, that was necessary for food. But everything else was just for our enjoyment. That was it. And I'll even tell, God might have even done that for me this week so I could give it as an example on this Sunday. Maybe that might be it. But I, I'm telling you, it was, I didn't need gelato bites. In fact, I probably need less of those. So that's really, I should go the other, I probably should have more carrots and celery, really. But I enjoyed them and God gave them to me. He says, but don't have your, tr don't have your hope, your confident expectation, your trust in the uncertainty of riches, but on God who will richly provide you. The Amplified said ceaselessly. I like that word. Go back to the Amplified. Who richly and ceaselessly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And then he says, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works. So he's saying you can be rich 
in money and in possessions, but also be rich in good works. To be generous, willing to share with others. You should be rich in both. In fact, it's really hard to be rich in good works if you don't have extra. Is that fair? It's really, really hard to give of an empty cup. If you're just scraping by and you're just living paycheck to paycheck, how do you, ha how do you have access to give? I'm not, I'm not coming against anyone and saying you're doing a bad job because you're li Becky and I lived, have you ever lived less than paycheck to paycheck? We did that for about seven years. Okay, that was, that was not like you, you, you swept the pump at Casey's on Thursday because you know that the credit card won't come out till Friday or you go, you get the Target card. You can swipe it on Wednesday because it doesn't come out of your bank till Friday. Like I knew how to manipulate the system. Okay, I've lived from less to paycheck to paycheck. So what I'm saying is I'm not coming against you and saying you're doing a bad job. But what I'm trying to show is like, look, we can come up out of that situation because God wants us to be rich in good works, but we have to have ability and access to do good things. Does that make sense? Becky and I cannot travel to these conferences where the power of God falls and these people get completely restored and healed if there's not money to send us there. Does that make sense? We can't come into this building and turn the lights on and sing and praise and worship and get together and look at each other in the face if we don't have money to do that. This, would you consider this a good work? Yeah, this verse is talking about it. We have excess in the bank so we can continue to do the good work that God has asked us to do. He says, be rich in good work. This is, okay, this is exact. when people, the people who preach, who talk about people who are supposed to be poor and not supposed to have money, they're literally talking against this verse. Because, okay, have you ever heard anyone say, why, why does that preacher need that plane? Why does that preacher need that car? Why does that preacher need that nice watch? They should sell it and what? Do you know that they're speaking scripture? They're speaking right out of the word of God. Well, it's not God's word. It's out of the scripture. But they're in, that Judas said it. The guy who betrayed Jesus. Okay, so that's the company that they're sharing. I understand that people get upset because something happened or something messed up or we live in a fallen world and people have this really bad habit of blaming God for everything. Blaming him for stuff that he had nothing to do with. You never involved with him. So as much as he wants to be involved with you, he's not. Mm -hmm. And you don't claim God except for when bad things happen. And then you say it's his fault. Okay? It's a, it's a bad understanding. But this, this very verse, literally, the, the people who say they should sell that and give it to the poor, giving to the poor, would you consider that a good work? Yeah. Okay, if you have a car... Yeah, if you have a car, you know, we can talk about that later, Sue. If we have a car, right, and let's say the car is worth $5,000, okay? If I sell that car and I get $5,000, I can do $5,000 work of charity, right? But what happens when the car is gone? What happens when the $5,000 is gone? I have done a total of $5,000 worth of charity. This is what I don't understand when people get so angry about people who preach the gospel talking about having money. I don't understand it because they're saying they should sell it or they should get rid of it and give it to people who need it. Yeah, I want to keep doing that. <laughs> so I need to have things to continue to do that, right? I don't want to just give to someone once. I want to be able to be used in multiple occasions, right? The ministry that we helped in Ohio, we have a part in every, every person that gets healed. I'm talking spines straining up. I'm talking cancer being healed. I'm talking demon possession leaving. Because of that ministry, we have a part of that because we had excess and God said give, yeah. right? 
It's not our job. It's not Tenny Love Church's job to be the answer to every need in the world. But there are needs that he's going to call us to be a part of. Does that make sense? What do we need to be a part of those things? How do we excel in good works? Meaning, how do we have lots and lots of good works? By having access to do those good works. This, if, if I were to say what motivates me most when it comes to finances, it would be this passage right here. That God has promised that he will give us richly, ceaselessly, all things for our enjoyment. Enjoying, but he says, don't stop there. He says, don't stop there. Instruct them to do good, to be rich also in good works. Not just rich in possessions, rich in good. Like if you were to have a scale, they should be raised up at the same amount of time. The more access to money and things you have, the more good works and things you should be able to do. The great thing is, is God will give you a good car and give you a good house and give you a good job and give you good relationships. If we're supposed to be a city on a hill, okay, is that city made up of paper shacks? If the God, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right, the guy who spoke and light became, right, the guy who breathed life into a chunk of mud and we came out of that, why would anything he would create be less than what we could do? Does that make sense? We're not better builders than God. We're not better at construction than him. If you want to know the character of God, look at how the temple was made. It was very precise. There was gold. There was bronze. There was silver. There was skilled craftsmen, specific people who were gifted to build things and make them beautiful. That's, that, is that still part of God's character today? Has it changed? Why do people think it has? This is what I don't understand. People will go, well, that's part of the old covenant. You're not, you're, you're not even, you don't even know your scripture. It's, that's not what the, what G, when it, the word says that Jesus came to fulfill the law, it means he came to fulfill what was required for your righteousness. That's what he came to fulfill. Because the law, the Ten Commandments and the 613 laws that came out of that were put in place to make us righteous. Okay, God's covenant and his love and his desire to pour goodness and mercy out on us has never changed. It was there before the covenant. Yeah. You understand? We saw that with Abraham. We saw that with Abram and, Ab and then becoming Abraham. It's always been part of his character. So, people, so Jesus came to fulfill what was required for our righteousness. Yeah. For us to stand and write with the Father. That's, because that's what the law did. Again, God's character and blessing and love and pouring out things was there before the covenant with Abraham. Okay? It was before it was before the 10 commandments with Moses. Okay? And it's it was before what Jesus did and it, it was it was literally it was literally the first interaction, one of the first interactions we see God on this earth with people. It was it's always been part of his character. Look at the garden of Eden. There was no dead things in it. Beautiful things. Things that brought, it's always been part of his character. It, it, it's not an old covenant, new covenant thing. It actually has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with relationship. It's, look, it's in the word. If you're not sure if you agree with me, I'm not, try, I'm not trying to, I don't want you to believe me. I want you to believe scripture, right? We agreed on that, right? Yeah. Okay, what time is it? I've, I've hit two scriptures. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> we have not gotten lots of, have, hey, we can go back next week, right? Yeah, let me, uh, let me, let me jump ahead here a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's where I'm going. Did you look at my notes? Oh, we talked about it last night. Okay, I'm going to end with that one. Okay, so we, we actually visited, actually, actually, I will do this. We have time. If I don't get to anything, I can talk about next week. Exodus 12, 33. I want to do this one real quick. So this is another example of who God is, okay? <coughs> Exodus 12, 33 through 36. You guys have it? Okay, well, we'll we can wait. Exodus 12, 33. Okay, how about now? Anyone have it? Okay, so this is the, the Israelites were in Egypt. This is after all the plagues, and this is when they're letting the people go, Okay. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. You would be too if you had all those plagues come upon you, for sure. For they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked Egyptians, the Egyptians, for silver, gold, jewelry, and for clothing. God instructed Moses to tell the people this. And they left Egypt rich. They, they were coming out of a terrible situation. God brought them out, and he brought them out how? With riches. With blessings. Again, like I said, this is before the Ten Commandments. This is before the law. The thing that Jesus fulfilled, this is before that. It's a character of who God is. He brought them out of a bad place, not only just brought them out of the oppression, but brought them into riches. Gold drew Egyptians for silver and gold. You know that Egypt at this time was like the richest nation? They put gold on their statues. They had so much of it, right? So they, they literally gave the Egyptians, as they were leaving, gold and silver and jewelry because that's a character of God. God brought the, can God bring you out of a bad place and bless you on the way doing it? Yeah, he absolutely can. This is the character of God. We visited this verse earlier, but I'll just share it with you for the sake of time. John 3, 16, no one knows this verse, right? You've never heard this one before? For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That was what Jesus did. God loved us so much that he gave. God has always been a giving God. He has constantly been giving. He's, he gives. 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 He's always gave. Why, why did he create us in the first place? He, he, he gave us life. He gave us relationship. He didn't have to, but he wanted to because he is a good, loving God. God doesn't have love. He is love. Without him, we would, love wouldn't exist. We wouldn't exist. His, it's, it's in his very nature to be a giving God. God loved us so much that he sent his only son so that we would have eternal life. If you look at that and you study this out, it's so that we can live in relationship with God here on earth. Because our sin caused separation. And God did not like that separation. He desired personal 
intimate relationship. So he gave his son to fulfill the requirement, the righteous requirement of the law, as it says in Romans 8. God did through Jesus what the law could not do because the law was weakened by the flesh. Right? That's what it says in Romans. Jesus came to fulfill the law so the righteous requirement of the law would be fulfilled so that we could live in relationship with him. This whole prosperity, riches thing has always been a part of who he was and it always will be. You cannot attest this to the law or to a covenant because it was never part of it in the first place. Okay, let me, let me make sure I'm being clear here. It wasn't excluded when God gave the law to Abraham because it was already part of who it was. He, Abraham was already rich in relationship and God said, I'm going to make you more rich. So it actually is included in the covenant. That makes sense? But not in the law. Because the covenant God formed with Abraham was before Moses and the law. Make sense? We're on the same page there? This is why it's important to know your Old Testament. It's important to know what the Word says. All right, 3 John 3. We'll read a couple more here, then I, I think we can be done for this week. Yeah, uh, 3 John, what did I say? Yeah, 3 John 1, uh, verses 2. Beloved, I pray that, you may, that it may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. In the Amplified, it says, Beloved, I pray that in every way you may succeed and prosper and be in good health physically just as your soul prospers spiritually. A lot of people will look at this verse and say, this is just a greeting from John. And he's talking about things of the soul. And this, Well, he actually defined both of them. I pray that in every way, say every way, you may succeed and prosper. Say succeed and prosper. Physically. As I know your soul prospers spiritually. Is it word? We're putting our eyes on it? All right. We already shared that verse in Timothy. I'll go to this one, and I think we'll be closed. Okay, 2 Corinthians 9. I shared this with Becky last night, and it was really awesome. God showed me some stuff on this. I'm going to read it in the ESV, and then we'll read it in the Amplified. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 8. I want you to put your eyes on this, or at least write it down. You guys have it? But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you, you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. That verse 8 there sounds very poetic, right? All grace abound towards you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things. Well, what does that mean? Uh, let's read it in the Amplified, and it'll tell us. Verse 6, 2 Corinthians 9, 6-8 in the Amplified. Now remember this. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows generously, that blessings may come to others, will also reap generously and, and be blessed. Let each one give thoughtfully and with purpose just as he has decided in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver and delights in the one whose heart is in his gift. And God is able to make all grace, every favor, and say the word earthly, earthly. blessing come in abundance to you so that you may always, say always, always. 
under all circumstances, regardless of need, have complete sufficiency in everything, being completely self-sufficient in him, and have an abundance for every good work and act of charity. That is so packed right there. I want to read that again. Just verse 8. And God is able to make all grace, every favor, and earthly blessing. Why did I say the word earthly? Because it has to do with things here. A lot of people will say, anytime God is saying blessing, he's talking about a spiritual blessing. No, he says earthly. He actually makes this clarification. Okay? And God is able to make all grace, every favor, and earthly blessing come in abundance. You guys want to know what the word abundance means? I wrote it down. A very large quantity of something. The state or conditioner having a copious quantity of something. Copious is one of my favorite words, so I'm really happy it was in there. Plentifulness of the good things of life. The quality or amount of something like more than enough. The word prosperity is also used in the same word abundance, okay? So, every favor and earthly blessing may come in abundance to you so that you may always, under all circumstances, regardless of need. God is not moved by need. In fact, he's going to pour this out on you whether you have need or not. When he says regardless of need, that, so the reason why it's important to make this definition is some people go, well, I really need it. God, I, I, God, help me. I need it. What is God moved by? Faith. Say it again. What is God moved by? Faith. What is God moved by? Faith. Is God moved by need? No. Mer he has mercy and grace for people. I understand that. But is he moved by need? No. How do you lay hold of the promises of God? Faith. Faith. Faith is the grabber, right? Under all circumstances, regardless of the need, have complete sufficiency in everything, being completely self-sufficient in him. That's where I want to be in my life. I want to be completely self-sufficient in God. Whether I work or not, he's my source. He's my supply. Whether I'm, I'm doing craftsman work or not, I'm getting a steady paycheck, I want to be completely self-sufficient in God and have an abundance for every good work and act of charity. It's literally talking about the same thing he was talking about in Timothy. Same thing. So the same people who say, that preacher shouldn't have that plane, that preacher shouldn't have that big fancy bus, or that big fancy church for those nice fancy telephone camera thing, they should sell it all and give it to the poor. I want to do it more than once. I want to I be completely self-sufficient in him, so I have an abundance for every good work and act of charity. So that when, when I see someone who has need, I can say, Lord, am, am I in a position where I can meet that need? And he'll say yes. And then I don't even have to think about what's in the bank account. We can just give yeah. cheerfully. Yeah. able to, Because you don't know what people, how people are crying out to God in the middle of the night. You don't know how many people are kept up for the worry. And, I, and I'm not talking about, I'm talking about good, godly folks. We're just believing for help, trying to come out of a situation. And the devil wants nothing more than to rob you, okay? I, I want to share one more thing with you, and then we'll go. Have you, the passage that says that God is a good shepherd, and it says there are others that try to come by a different way, and they're all thieves or robbers. What the Lord showed me in that verse is God said, anyone that changes my word, 
from what it is to what they want is a thief and a robber. This is why we need to be convinced of what the Word says about our finances, about money, about prosperity, about abundance. Do you, do you want to take, a, do you want access to all of God's promises? Do you? Are you willing to do what it takes? Read the word. I, I, I said I was going to share one more thing, but this is my one more, one more thing. Okay? There's a verse in the Bible that says, whoever gives up brother, sister, mother, house, land, car. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. He says, whoever gives it up in my name will receive in this time a hundredfold. In this time, meaning here on earth. Okay? And it says, you will receive a hundredfold with persecution. That's what the word says. So people aren't going to like it that you have money. People aren't going to like it that you're doing well. People aren't going to like it that you're helping people. Actually, the people who will like it the least are the family members of those who need help because they've seen the dumb decisions that they've made. They, they can only see them from their actions. That makes sense? <clears throat> but God will put you in a position when someone's truly crying out, they're, they're just beginning to operate in faith. Maybe it's just an act of God's mercy and His kindness. If we have extra, if we have abundance, we're able to do all the good works that God wants us to do. He's going to give you stuff for your enjoyment, and then He's going to give you extra so that other people can come up out of the situation that they're in. I don't want these seats filled with people because I, that's like an ego thing for me. It's because I know that there are people within walking distance of this building who are crying out for help. And a lot of times that involves money. It's actually one of the smallest things that, that God cares about in the Bible. It really is. It, he, it, what I mean by His care means He's promised it like it's done. Like take, take hold of it. Just like your salvation. It's just as much promised to you as your salvation is. It's just as much a promise as your righteousness. It's the same. It's already been done. So why don't you believe it and take hold of it? Because then we can actually be useful. If, if the enemy can keep the church poor, he can limit the church's reach. Does that make sense? If the devil can keep you poor, he can limit your reach. Our goal isn't to be rich only in money, but it's to be rich in good works. But what does it take to be rich in good works? That's the question. What will it take to be rich in good works? Access. Access. I'm not saying just dollar bills. Sometimes, you, like if you want to drive to Forsyth and go pray for someone, you need a car that can make it to Forsyth? Yes is the answer to that question. Absolutely, right? If you want to invite a family that's lesser off over to your house to have a, a good meal, you need food, you need electricity, you need a house that can fit everyone, right? You need to have, when I say the word access, I'm not just talking about dollar bills. I'm saying being set up in a way that enables you to be a blessing to those who need it. That's what I, I gave you two verses. I gave you more than that. But the one here in Corinthians and the one in Timothy specifically talk about having more than enough so that you can be used to give to those who need. Does that make sense? Yes. Can we agree? Yes. Is it in the word? Yes. All right. Then we believe it. It's, it's something we should be convinced of. Let's stand up. <clears throat> I'm going to pray. We'll do our conf confession, and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, I thank you so much um, for your word regarding this subject. I ask that as we hear these things, as we see this in your word, it would become more real to us, Lord. That we wouldn't be afraid of it. That even though persecution would come, even though it makes people mad, we would be bold enough to say it's in your word, so we believe it. We, we use our faith and take hold of your promises because I know that you have a big plan for us and people out there who need um, access to you, who need access to things, Father, and uh, use us. Use us. 
Get us set up in a place where we can be used to reach the hopeless, to bring hope to those who need hope, to bring health to those who need health and healing and prosperity and wealth and increase to those who are crying out to you, Father. Get us in a position where we're able to make a difference in our communities and our families' lives. I thank you for that, Father. I pray blessing and peace and protection over everyone underneath the sound of my voice, that they would come up from the position they are to a new position. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tanny Love Church podcast. For more information about us, visit us online at www.tannylovechurch.com. And you can also check us out on social media, on Instagram and Facebook.